Hello and welcome back to the State of Education presented by One Room Education. I'm Katie and today I'll be your guide as we take a look at the epidemic of what has been coined teacher flight and the direct effects it could have on your family and your child's quality of education this coming school year and beyond. In today's episode, we'll be discussing what teacher flight is and why it's happening, the plight of public school teachers, and what the unions are doing about it. So come on in and have a seat while we talk about teacher flight and why it could lead to strikes this school year. Let me start off by saying I know personally what a hard job teaching really is. I mean, have you ever had a birthday party with 30 of your 8-year-old's closest friends and been able to manage it, let alone 10 of your 8-year-old's closest friends? Well, this is essentially what we're asking teachers to do every day, and that's on top of their state-mandated duties, testing, assignments, grading, lesson planning, and don't forget the occasional mental breakdown that we tend to have because of all the pressure put on us. And I'd like to point out that some people legitimately believe that teachers have the easiest job on the planet because, I mean, essentially we get to play with kids all day and have the summers off, right? I mean, hello, dream job. I have to say, obviously, the people that say that have never known a good teacher because a good teacher, and this is me speaking from experience with myself and my friends and teachers that I have personally had, A good teacher gives their entire being to educating the next generation so they can have a chance at a better future than we did. And if most people make mistakes at work, the company will lose money and you might get in trouble. But there's not really like major stakes. But if teachers make mistakes or if the school systems or education system makes a mistake, we lose an entire generation of our kids. And that is a pressure and a weight that teachers and administration feel every single day. And that's why almost all of the teachers that I know that are still in the field that I would consider the quote unquote good teachers, they start their days between 4.30 and 5 in the morning and they don't get done until at least 11 p.m that night if they're lucky. If they have state testing coming up or if they have a paper that they assigned and needs graded or whatever, then they could be up for two or three days straight with an hour or two of sleep to make sure that everything gets done in a timely manner because otherwise their administration will be on them. And in addition to all of this stuff, there's the financial burden that most teachers feel they need to take on to be that quote-unquote good teacher. If you're outside of the education profession and you're looking in on elementary or high school secondary teachers, there is a pressure to have a Pinterest-perfect classroom, activities planned at least two to three times per week, and of course, don't forget that there needs to be the class parties as incentives for doing well on the assignments and assessments at the end of every quarter or semester. And I know that some of you will be thinking or saying out loud at this point, why do the teachers feel that they need to pay for this stuff out of pocket? Well, because the school districts usually don't have a budget for it. 
any any of the extra stuff that your kids are getting from their teachers that they don't get from other teachers is usually because it's not set into the district budget for the teachers to take from. So like a petty cash fund or something to be able to do those class parties and activities with that isn't directly from the teacher's pocket. Now, these things are extra. The the Pinterest perfect classrooms, the activities, the class parties, those are all extra. But in addition to that exterior pressure for what society thinks a good classroom looks like, essentially, there is the additional reading, writing, and other resources that teachers feel the need to provide their classes with if their districts don't allot them a budget to do that. So this includes like supplemental readings, this includes the supplies to actually complete those activities or assignments that are more fun for the students. Because a lot of your students, or at least some of them, won't have the money to go and buy the supplies for the school projects. And I faced this personally whenever I was teaching that I went and just ended up buying all of the supplies for the students because I got so many letters from parents saying that they didn't have money to get the supplies for the project. So these supplies and decor and rewards and incentives, they don't come free. And a lot of people think that they're unnecessary, but they really are a necessity within a classroom to maintain morale for the students. And I mean, do you remember what school was like with teachers that didn't do stuff like this? It was horrible. It was boring. It was, there were no incentives to actually do well outside of just finally getting out of the building. So teachers feel the need to do this nowadays because we remember what it was like in classrooms that weren't like that. And as teachers, with all of these extra things that we're kind of expected to do by society nowadays, if you want to have any sort of semblance of work-life balance, it's almost a requirement that you purchase lessons online so that they can conform to the state standards that teachers are required to adhere to, which are, of course, ever-changing. The standards that teachers are supposed to conform their lesson plans and unit studies to change every freaking year. They change every single year in most states. So it's really hard for teachers to be able to do everything that they're supposed to do on a regular basis and list all of the standards that they're covering in each lesson so that their administration knows what's going on because it's an issue. So it's just... It's so much easier if you want to have any sort of life outside of your job for those nine months, nine and a half months or longer with COVID and everything. If you want to have any sort of life outside of work during the school year, you are almost required to pay for these lesson plans now. In fact, there are entire websites dedicated to lesson plans, unit studies, daily activities for teachers to tap into. If you're a teacher, you know about most of them. If you're not, the most notable one and probably the most well-known one is called uh, Teachers Pay Teachers or TPT. So you'll see them all over Instagram or um, Pinterest, you know, follow me on TPT. And it's kind of like the Etsy for for teachers, (laughs) essentially, nowadays. 
But in addition to all of these things that teachers are supposed to do to conform to the general perception of what a teacher is technically supposed to be doing, there is the problem of the ever-expanding definition of what a teacher is supposed to be that has been happening continuously over the past 50 or so years, specifically as the nuclear families have started to be divided up and parents are no longer financially able or sometimes willing to stay home on a large like mass scale to make a difference with their children to help with the schools. Because in the past, you would have parents come to the schools to help with lunch times or class activities and dances and club meetings and all of the stuff that parents used to help with. And the role of parents in the past was so much more predominant throughout the child's education than it is today. You weren't viewed as being done with raising your kid after elementary school, kind of how it is today. But for more information on the parental role in education, go ahead and check out episode 10 of the State of Education podcast. If you haven't heard it already, I will make sure to have it linked in the notes and over at one-roomeducation.com for you. It's just, it's a really insightful look at what parents' role within the education of the child is supposed to be and what's actually happening and ways that you can step up as a parent to help. So I will make sure to have that linked in the notes for you and over at one-roomeducation.com for you. But here's the thing. Schools are supposed to be community centers where you can trust the people to help educate your children, not just somewhere you send your kids to get a break from them because you can't stand them or so that you can go to work without paying for childcare. And teachers, as I've mentioned quite a few times in this podcast, are civil servants. And that means that they are employed by the local governments and paid with your tax dollars. And as civil servants, it is our duty as the society that employs them to support them in any way possible. Now, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not talking about that teacher that sits in the front of the room with their feet on the desk and could honestly care less what their students are doing. While those teachers do exist, I found that they're much fewer and much farther apart than you might think. In fact, I'm talking about the teachers who spend their entire summer laying out their classroom to make it it as perfect a learning environment as possible for their kids. They save up and they budget and they spend their own time and money to make sure that every student feels welcomed in their classroom. They spend their spare time on the weekends reading the latest journal articles on educational psychology so they can better impart their content knowledge to their students. They feel the weight and pressure of cultivating the minds of the next generation every day. And it's something you really honestly don't understand unless you've been there and done it. Now, I've given you as best I can a somewhat understanding of what it's emotionally like to be a good teacher. A good teacher today is all encompassed by their job. That's, that is their life. That is who they are. And if that's the case, 
then what happens when the weight of that gets to be too much? Because teachers are relied on to be so much more than educators today. We're supposed to be the surrogate parents for your children and our students while they're with us and reinforce the values and social mores while at the same time trying to help them navigate becoming individual critical thinkers. Then we're supposed to be both removed from the rearing of our students, your children, and hold them accountable for their actions within our classrooms and the school at large without imparting those values. Does that make sense to anybody? You expect us to take these kids and these children into our schools, into our classrooms, into our lives, and not impart any sort of value, either socially or politically. And that literally can't happen because we're supposed to make sure and maintain a classroom environment that's conducive to learning. Well, okay, yeah, that, that's true. That's great. But what does that mean? That means that we, we implement and enforce social mores and values that create a, an environment conducive to learning. But we're also supposed to not do any of that while we're doing that and only help them become critical thinkers. But they can't be too critical of thinkers because they still have to pass the standardized tests. Are we seeing how this is all completely, like it It literally can't be done because you have to be doing two different things at the same time all the time. So no matter how teachers handle what we're doing in the classroom, we're making somebody mad and upset with how we're trying to handle our roles as uninvested educators. So just purely essentially robots giving you information and we're also supposed to be the arbiters of social and emotional education and morals with the social emotional learning that's supposed to be going on but we're not supposed to be doing that because the families are supposed to be doing that but the families aren't doing that so the teachers have to do that but the families don't want the teachers to do that so the kids are just lost in the middle somewhere and the teachers are stuck in the situation where we simply cannot do it. It's hard enough on a secondary level to keep the social and emotional aspect as far out of your classroom as possible because trust me teenagers you know everybody wants to keep the social and emotional stuff out of your classroom or your house or whatever but This is virtually completely unrealistic and virtually impossible at an elementary level because those elementary school kids desperately developmentally need that steady hand of guidance. And if they're spending the majority of their day with the teacher in a single classroom, then that's the person that they're going to latch on to. And the teacher is expected to take on that role, but not take on that role because the parents are still the parents. You see what I'm saying? It's just kind of, it's very murky and it's very confusing for what teachers are actually supposed to be doing outside of the general ABCs, one, two, threes kind of thing. So 
with all of this confusion about what the actual role of a teacher is supposed to be within society right now, is there any wonder that the mental health of our teachers has declined to the point that they're just leaving mid-year? They're, they're dropping it like flies mid-year. They're dropping their keys off and saying, I'm not coming back tomorrow. And that's it. And to be totally honest, as much as I would absolutely love to lay into these teachers that do leave mid-year without notice, I, I have to say that I understand where they're coming from. I mean, why, seriously, why would anyone want such a high-pressure job where you're sure to be told what a crappy job you're doing pretty much no matter what you're doing? Not to mention that you get paid for crap when you're a teacher. And because at least most jobs where you have that high of pressure and you're required to pretty much eat it most days, they at least get compensated for it. I mean, the median salary for all all public school teachers in the entire United States was $62,870 with the lowest paid 25% of teachers making $49,990 a year. Now, with that information, I decided to take a minute and look and see what my local school district pays because, as I've mentioned quite a few times, I live in a very small, very rural school in Ohio, school district, I don't live in the school, school district in Ohio. So I wanted to look up and see what the salary is for high school teachers here in my school district. And for bachelor's degrees, which are the majority of teachers that you're going to find is a four-year degree, the salaries range between 25671 and $29,060. That's right. I said that teachers in my school district make under $30,000 a year, even with experience. And if you want to finally get over that $50,000 a year mark in my school district, you have to have a master's degree plus experience. (laughs) So like I said, I live in a very small, very rural school district, and we have some amazing property taxes here. So that's obviously going to pay less if you have lower property taxes. But it's something to keep in mind is that for all of the hassle and all of the stress and all of the crap that you get on a regular basis from unions or parents or administration or kids, let's be honest, kids in the classroom are not the best nowadays. For all of that, you're getting barely above poverty level wages. I mean, literally, it is our job to educate the next generation of our nation to make sure that there is a educated, prosperous, and free future for them. And we can barely make ends meet on our own. Like, seriously, most teachers, that's why most teachers have husbands that have, like, amazing jobs. Because I have literally never met anybody that was like, hey, teaching has some really good salaries. Let's go ahead and go into that for the pay. No. My dad said a few weeks ago when I was talking to him, actually, he said that he has never met somebody that went into teaching for the pay, that teaching always seems to be a calling for people, that it doesn't really matter how much they make because it's their passion. Education and seeing that spark in kids' eyes is is their passion. 
and you just you don't go into it for the money because it's a civil service and I 100% agree with my dad that was that was a smart thing you said dad (laughs) so with all of these issues that education's having that the teaching profession is having and just all of the stuff that I just mentioned why would anybody want to go into it right but I mean, come on, at least the teachers unions are helping to make it better for the teachers, right? The teachers unions are there to help the teachers. (sighs) Did you listen to my episodes on the teachers unions? (laughs) If you haven't, I highly suggest you go back and listen to them. Because I really, really, really wish that I could say the teachers unions were helping. I really wish that I could look back at those episodes where I talked about the teachers unions in a super negative light and say, you know what? They really got their act together after that whole COVID thing. But I'm going to be totally honest. I'm really sorry, but I can't say that about the teachers unions. The unions amidst all of these issues that the teachers face on a regular basis. This is these are just cumulative issues that anybody in the education profession knows are going on and have known it for years. But on top of that, with all of the COVID issues and all that stuff, what are teachers unions doing? They're doing what they've always done. They're feigning that they care and have compassion for the teachers who are suffering due to their inaction as an organization. And that's just the truth of it. And during the COVID-19 lockdowns, we saw some of the worst that the teachers unions have to offer. Instead of trying to find actual solutions for the core issues, we saw several major city school districts held hostage by the teachers unions who, instead of fighting to fix the actual problem within the education systems, only focused on getting more money for their teachers and more support staff in the classrooms. And yes... Yes, you're right. I did just talk about how little that teachers make and how the, most of them are barely above the poverty line. And these things, raising salaries for teachers and getting more support staff, could help to a certain extent. But they don't begin to address the actual issues within the education system that are actually causing these teachers to flee in mass. The real issues that teachers are facing are largely coming from a lack of administrative support when it comes to an issue like behavioral problems disrupting the class and feeling completely and totally overwhelmed with the ever-expanding definition of what a teacher's job duties actually are. And how do we fix this? Teachers actually need less students in their classrooms not more support staff and administrative oversight. But the unions are fighting for more support staff because if you've listened to my union episode, you'll you'll know what's coming. If the teachers unions are fighting for more support staff, it's because it will equal more paying members for their roles that they can then add to their election campaigns to make the top union bureaucrats even more wealthy while leaving the teachers in the trenches with no air support coming to save them. That is not right that the unions are leaving the teachers out in a lurch on their own 
and in public they're saying oh we're fighting for the teachers we're trying to get them better salaries and these these states and these local districts they just don't want to pay more money for good teachers that's not true and instead of these teachers unions taking this money that they take from all staff in a school essentially and putting it towards i don't know some sort of petty cash fund that union members can tap into to help fund the stuff that i mentioned before like the activities the reading supplemental materials stuff like that even classroom decor i mean come on if you have a nice looking classroom and you've got happy looking kids that's really good publicity for your profession don't you think but in no 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 no. instead of doing that these union bureaucrats keep taking more and more money and saying that they're working for the teachers and trying to get them more pay trying to get them better class sizes and they're simply not So what is going on, right? The unions are supposed to be helping, but they're not. And the job of the teacher is ever expanding. And unfortunately, everybody in education knows that. And what did the unions do in response to the staffing shortages caused by the COVID-19 issues? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's what the teachers unions have done for the teachers, Teachers have lost their planning periods because substitutes are refusing to go into work in a hostile work environment. Whether it's an administration, whether it's kids, whether it's not being able to go to the bathroom because you literally have no breaks in your day because of staffing shortages are so severe. That's a hostile work environment. And what are the unions doing about it? Literally, trying not to cuss right now. Literally nothing. They are not doing anything. No, no. Wait, wait. That's a lie. Do you know what the unions are doing? Let, let's look at what IllinoisPolicy.org has to say about this. Because for those of you who didn't know, the Chicago Teachers Union went on strike earlier this year in January. Eh, like the end of December in January, I think. And IllinoisPolicy.org has an, has an article on it. And it says... Quote, CTU has gone far beyond using its power to negotiate wages and benefits for its members. It has tried to negotiate its social agenda on housing, immigration, quote unquote, restorative justice, wealth redistribution, and defunding the police. Unquote. Yep, that's right. You heard me. In response to the teacher shortages that are causing teachers to flee en masse in what is now being coined as the teachers flight among educational professionals the teachers unions are doing what they're leaving professionals in our nation's school systems that are literally crumbling before our eyes as we watch them and instead they're focusing on freaking critical theory issues and if you missed the episode that i did on what critical theory actually is and the effect that it could actually have on the education system. I'll make sure to link that episode in the notes as well and over at one-roomeducation.com for you because it's really important to understand where your money is going as a union person. Now, with the lack of union support that these teachers are getting, what is it looking like in the classrooms? What is actually the reason for this 
teacher flight that we're seeing this mass exodus of educators and it's not just it's not just early career educators that's like the first five years it's not just them it is like people that are close to retirement are just leaving the education field altogether so what is actually contributing to this and why is it happening well ms magazine put it very well when they said in an article why are so many teachers at their breaking point COVID-19 has not only caused anxiety and fear among teachers for their own health and that of their families, they are also facing increased responsibility. Planning periods have been replaced with coverage periods, where teachers have to teach other classes when their colleagues are out, often due to illness, because the supply of substitute teachers cannot meet the demand. This means most, if not all, planning must be done outside of the school day. The article continues, the trauma students have experienced throughout the pandemic is now manifesting itself in misbehavior in the classrooms, and schools should invest in supporting students' social and emotional health, something that is often left to already overworked teachers. Continuing, in Iowa, a new bill would put cameras in classrooms, allowing parents to watch live footage of their kids' classes. In Indiana, teachers would have to submit their lesson plans to an online portal so that parents could oversee what is being taught each day and opt out if they opposed the content, forcing teachers to create entirely new content for those students. While supporters of these bills claim they would protect and even showcase teachers, the reality is much darker. In addition to creating extra work for educators, these bills could weaponize modern technology against teachers, opening the door to parental interference and lawsuits, unquote. Now, I will be addressing some of these legislative issues and the ideas behind them in a future episode. But for now, I'm going to say that I completely understand the issue that teachers see with this. And don't worry, don't yell at me. I also understand the worry from parents that caused these types of bills to be considered. But like I said, I'll be addressing that in a future episode. So make sure that you're following the State of Education podcast on your favorite listening platforms and over on our social medias so you don't miss any of that content coming your way very soon. So now that I've laid out all of this stuff for you, I've laid out what it's actually like to be a teacher and the emotional toll that it can take on good teachers in the best of times, let alone with all of the extra duties that are required because of the staffing shortages currently and all of the other stuff that got put on them during the pandemic and the lockdown protocols and all of that stuff. Is it any wonder that teachers are fleeing the profession as fast as they possibly freaking can? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't blame them at all. There's so much risk and there's a lot of reward, but it's just not worth it anymore. And honestly, if I was teaching in the classroom currently, I would probably start looking, I would probably be looking for a different job, to be totally honest. Now, I know that you're probably wondering, okay, Katie, this is all well and good and being a teacher sucks right now, but what does this have to do with teachers going on strike and my child's education getting all screwed up. Well, 
Let's take a look at some of the issues that are going to be directly impacting your children this school year. And I'm sorry to say, it's not just the large cities that I absolutely love to rag on, you know that, but it's not just them this time. This is something that is going to be felt and its ripple effects are going to be felt for years to come by everyone. And I really wish that I was being hyperbolic. I really wish that I was being a fear monger or whatever, but I'm really not. And here, here's my evidence, okay? There is a absolutely stellar article. And you guys know that I don't usually say this. Like, I'll, I'll take quotes from articles or whatever. This article is a freaking home run. It's from the um, University of Michigan Dearborn website. I'll make sure to have it linked in the notes and over at One Dash Room Education for you. It is called Teachers at the Breaking Point. A UM Dearborn education expert breaks down how teaching became a profession in crisis and why she still has hope for the future. This is from March 14th of this year, 2022, and it is written by Lou Blauin, B-L-O-U-I-N. And I'm honestly probably just going to read at least some of this article to you, if not most of it, because this article is seriously so well written and the amount of information that this author was able to pack into this shorter, shorter type article is absolutely phenomenal. And speaking of phenomenal writing, I do want to point out that some of this information is covered in a few articles over at one-roomeducation.com. So I will go ahead and link to those articles in the notes and over at the show notes and references over at one-roomeducation.com as well. And if you want to get information similar to this, make sure that you sign up to get One Room content straight to your inbox over at oneroomeducation.com. So let's go ahead and get into this article from the University of Michigan Dearborn. It starts out, quote, a few weeks ago, the National Education Association, the largest educator union in the country, representing more than 3 million people, released some startling results from a recent survey. The headline grabbing reveal that 55% of its teachers now plan to leave the profession earlier than planned was jarring enough. But dig deeper and you'll find all kinds of troubling news. That more than half stat was true across the board, whether teachers were early, mid, or late career. And the numbers were even higher in Black, 62%, and Hispanic Latino, 59% educators, who were already underrepresented in the field. An even bigger number... 90% of those surveyed say feeling burned out is a, quote, serious problem, with two-thirds rating it as very serious. One factor in the high level of burnout around three-fourths say unfilled job openings or staff shortages mean they've had to take on more responsibilities at work. 
For UM Dearborn Associate Professor of Education and Field Placement Director Danielle Defois, such an exodus from the profession is almost unimaginable. And she holds out hope that once COVID subsides, these numbers might change. But it's clear some educators aren't waiting it out. The situation has reached crisis levels in many districts, and Defois is personally measuring it with a number of phenomena she's never seen in her 20-plus years in the field. Teachers leaving in the middle of the year, once a rarity, is happening regularly now. Principals in partner districts who she just helped connect with recent grads from our program are coming back again and again, often for additional recruits at the same grade level, an indication, he says, that they're losing veteran teachers. I recently saw a Facebook post from one of my students who just graduated in December and was hired right after graduation, Defois said. Since she started, two of the teachers on her grade level team have left, and she just heard a third person's resigning. She must be in utter shock at what she's facing. As a new teacher, you need mentorship and support from veteran teachers. And to read that she might now be the only one on her team, that's terrifying. The current shortages are also triggering ripple effects and feedback loops that are exacerbating the already fragile situation. Defoe says when teachers are leaving positions mid-contract, many times they're not leaving the field. They're simply changing schools. Because there are shortages everywhere, schools that can offer more pay, signing bonuses, or other benefits are luring teachers away from districts with fewer resources, where the staff shortages and challenges facing students were already more pronounced. When a teacher leaves mid-year, this obviously disrupts the experience for K-12 learners, but Defoe says it also erodes the capacity of teams of educators who rely on each other for support and mentorship. Another trend she's watching closely. To plug holes, districts are recruiting pre-graduation senior education students as permanent subs. Now, I'm going to stop reading this article right there because in a few of the articles that are that have come out or are recently coming out over at one-roomeducation.com and in a couple of the previous episodes of the State of Education podcast, I have mentioned that this was going to become an issue and that it is an issue because a lot of the districts nationwide are starting to offer up bonuses and retention bonuses and stuff like that. And some of the places that aren't able to do that, that are really, really in dire straits, some of these districts are actually being forced to bring in parents and bring in other community members to act as substitute teachers because they can't get enough subs or either permanent substitutes, so that's like a long-term sub position until you can hire someone full-time, or as day-to-day subs, because they, they just aren't available. The subs aren't working. So it really, really leaves these districts in a lurch, and it leaves them in a really hard position, because 
not only are these districts facing this teacher flight that we've been talking about and the reasons behind it, but they're also facing an issue where people aren't going into the education field anymore. There are so many other options on the market that are so much easier that people that are coming up that should be training in the education field, they're just not willing to put in the work or the effort to do it anymore because look at all the crap that teachers are getting and they're all crazy anyways. So why would I want to enter that field for the pittance that they get paid anyways when I can make... I don't know, six figures selling dropship on Amazon from Alibaba or whatever. You know what I mean? It just, it kind of makes sense. But these districts are being hit from both sides. They're seeing this teacher flight and um, headhunting from more affluent districts and stuff like that. But they're also seeing it from the other end where these colleges and the universities are being able to put out enough teachers to replace all of the ones that are being lost to the field. So it's creating this really, really insane kind of loop that's happening with the education system. And the fact that these class sizes are getting so big, that's why the fact that teachers don't get literally don't get any breaks during the day. That that's why. That's the core of the problem that's not being addressed is that teachers and support staff are leaving the field and new teachers and support staff are not being minted by the education system in the United States because there's no incentive to become a teacher anymore. It's a frowned upon job, essentially, and it doesn't pay well enough to incentivize people to come into it. Like nurses, they get pretty decent pay. So even if you don't necessarily want to do that for your job, you'll at least do it because you get paid well. And teaching doesn't have that because, again, it's a civil service job. So your pay depends on the budget of the school district from the property taxes that are paid, which depends on the economic situation of the place that you live. So if you look at All of these issues that I'm talking about currently, these are all issues that have been topics of previous episodes of the state of education. And I know that sometimes whenever I'm recording these episodes or when I'm editing them, I'm like, I wonder if you're going to think that I'm hopscotching around too much or, you know, how do all of these topics come together? But this is really where they all come together is in the classroom with your kids, with your students, with your grandkids, with your neighbor's kids, with your community, with the future of your community. And I usually like to keep it kind of upbeat and, you know, there's a light at the end of this tunnel. But when it comes to the topic of teacher flight and the repercussions of it throughout the education profession, I really don't see much hope. And one of the things that I want to point out is that if teachers get pushed too far, they will push back on the unions that they have to do something, right? Because if too many people leave a union chapter, the 
the state or the national union will look at them and say, what are you people doing? And then a strike will ensue to get smaller class sizes or to get more support staff, usually, because smaller class sizes don't benefit the unions. They More support staff benefits the unions. And so that's why I see the teacher flight issue directly connected to a to the unions potentially going on strike before the end of this school year and I'm not talking like a a smaller local kind of strike I'm talking like the massive red for ed kind of strike wave that we had a few years ago I'm talking like that kind of disruption to the education system and one of my goals with this podcast and with One Room Education is to keep you abreast of the situation and what's going on so that you can plan on what's best for you and your family and especially for your students. Because let's be honest, a lot of people and a lot of these organizations don't put your students first. And honestly, your kids are a commodity to them. And you are a pawn in their game. I know that that sounds super dark and super just like, wow, Katie, you really just said that. And yeah, I did. And that's because it's a hard truth that none of us want to think of. None of us want to think of our kids as a commodity. None of us want to think of our kids as a business. Or we don't want to think of their future being somebody else's business model. And if it's not profitable for them then they're not going to help our kid learn how to think for themselves and how to be an individual and how to make their own path through this world. That's not what the education system's there for. The education system is to confine your child to the current whatever, to the current economic system. And to be a worker in the current economic system. Because really, unless you're able to put your kids into a classical academy, which I have an episode coming up on those, they're absolutely fabulous, or something, some kind of specialized charter school, your kids aren't going to learn how to become entrepreneurs. They're not going to learn how to not work for somebody else throughout their life. And if you want them to learn that, but they're not learning it in school, then it's your job as the parent, the guardian, the the neighbor, the whatever, to show them how to do that. And if you don't know, then show them where to find that information online. Because, I mean, we do live in the age of the internet where you can get access to literally anything you want to learn. But people are still so dependent on the public education systems And they're failing so badly. And the teachers that are in these districts, I feel so bad for them. My heart aches for these teachers that just want to help their students, that just want to be there for their students to help and to help them grow into those independent thinkers and to help facilitate their evolution to a critical evaluation of the world around them instead of just following the the latest headline right but they're not able to just do that because of the expansion of the definition of what their job duties are in addition to everything else that I've mentioned 
and the lack of support from the administration, the lack of support from the unions. It's just, it's really sad. And aside from a passion and a true calling to this type of work, there's no incentive to stay in it financially or or emotionally, mentally, <laughs> your your general overall health and well-being. There's no incentive to stay in it. But for those of us that are called to be educators, that have known in our soul that this is what we've wanted to do our entire lives, how are we going to be able to help those people, to facilitate those people to be able to do their job and to help those teachers, the ones who are driven to educate? How are we going to help those teachers not only obtain a living wage of some sort where they don't have to have a summer job and two other side jobs during the school year so that they can afford their bills. But also, how are we going to help them in the classroom environment? If you're a parent, volunteer to go in one day a week, even if it's just to clean the classroom and help the teacher set up for the next week or for a class for a class experiment or for a class activity that they have going on that week that you saw on the calendar for your kid say shoot the teacher an email say hey do you need help I'm available from from five from five to six on Tuesday do you need help that day setting anything up or tearing anything down do you need like what do you need me to do do you need me to run off some copies for you And even though that's well after school hours, I'm telling you teachers are more than happy to stay if they're going to get help and they need it. And I'm not just talking like I've been saying, it's like a mantra for this episode. It's not just elementary. It's not just secondary. It is all education. All educators need help. It's a lot of work. And if parents took a little bit more of an active role, if the community took a little bit more of an active role within their education systems, then we would all be better off for it. And this is going to sound a little bit corny, I know that, but even just whenever you drop your kid off or if you have a kid that's in secondary and you don't drop them off anymore, shoot the teacher an email and say, hey, you know, I really appreciate you doing x this week for my kid and you know i've really seen an improvement so you know is there anything that i can do on my end to help you out a little bit it takes two minutes out of your day maybe a half hour out of your week and it could make the world of difference for that teacher because you might be the only one doing it so that that's my suggestion of how we can help because systemically it's foobar man um but we as individuals can make a huge difference and we underestimate the effect that one hey you did a good job this week email from a parent can uh, can have on a teacher their their general overall mental mental health and well-being because it gets really dark thinking that you're doing all of this for people that don't appreciate you and don't really care about you until you do something wrong. 
So I'm going to pretty much end on that note. That's my final message is reach out to a teacher and ask them if they need help. If you know who you're, I think everybody knows who their elementary school teachers are going to be, shoot them an email and say, hey, you know, I know that school is coming up at the end of next month. Do you need some help setting anything up? I have some free time or something like that. Seriously, it makes the biggest difference. So anyways, before I close out today's episode, I do need to do some housekeeping for you. Starting next episode, I will be uploading every other Tuesday instead of every single week. Episode 17 will be available starting July 26th, not July 19th. I'm just not able to keep up with the schedule to bring you the quality of content and consistency that you deserve with the weekly postings and everything going on over at one-roomeducation.com. If you have any questions about the posting schedule, you can always head over to the State of Education page over at one-roomeducation.com. I have a full posting list there that is going to be updated this week. Um, so you'll be able to know what episodes are coming when. So this week's episode and then two weeks from this Tuesday, July 12th. So with that information and all of this lovely sunshine and rainbows that I spit at you today, um, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked today's episode and you found it informative and enlightening in some way, please make sure that you are subscribed and following this podcast on whichever platform you happen to be listening to me on. Please make sure to head over to one-roomeducation.com to get the full catalog of One Room Education content as well as ways that you can support my work. While you're there, make sure to sign up to get One Room content straight to your inbox every time we upload new content. If you would like some behind the scenes content and general inspiration for education people, please head over and follow me on my socials. On Facebook, Pinterest, and Rumble, I'm at One Room Education, all one word. And on the Instagram, I'm at One Room underscore education. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I am so looking forward to seeing you next time as we continue our discussion of the state of education.